chapter number eight. And uh, <clears throat> today I wanted to uh, spend uh, some time on focusing on a portion of scripture uh, that we find here in Romans chapter eight. And uh, <clears throat> I'd encourage you um, to spend some time this week in the whole chapter of Romans chapter number eight, uh, because out of this book of, of Romans, uh, chapter eight is, uh, is really the pinnacle or it is the jewel of the whole book of Romans. Um, if you're reading through Romans, Romans eight would be the apex of, of that entire book. And uh, some people have even said that uh, Romans chapter number eight is really the pinnacle of the entire Bible. And so it's a, it's a very tremendous passage of scripture, and uh, I, I would really encourage you to, to spend some time in it. And you know, we've been spending some time this last couple months on this topic about fear and how we need to look at it and think about it biblically and as, what, as far as what Scripture says. And uh, this chapter that we're going to look at here, this chapter alone magnifies the eternal, unchangeable, unfathomable, life-transforming love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 19 would sum it up this way. And thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. The love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, it surpasses knowledge. So that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, if there's one thing that you need to understand and know is that there is no truth will transform your life more than God's gracious love for you in Christ. Because it's to the extent that you understand it, you feel it, and live daily with a very deep sense of its reality. And it is through the love of Christ that we will read here in this passage that will allow us to joyfully persevere through trials. Now, this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Don't fear. The love of Christ will help you endure any hardship or trial. Don't fear. Because the love of Christ will help you endure any hardship or trial. Let's spend some time here discovering the richness of this passage here in Romans chapter number 8. We're going to begin here in verses uh, 31. Now, as we read through this passage, uh, it's important to know that Paul was writing to these believers at a certain period or time in their life. And these believers here were suffering hardship, persecution, and even martyrdom. They were being killed. They were being slain because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, in fact, Paul himself tells of his own difficulties that he himself endured uh, as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And you could read all about that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And in that, he lists about how he was uh, um, beaten with a rod five times. He received 39 stripes, save one. 
Uh, he, was, uh, he was in perils of danger and perils of the sword, perils of his own countrymen. Uh, he went uh, without food in his life. So Paul definitely knows what he's talking about when he's talking about hardships and difficulties and, and things that might have been in his life. And so Paul writes this here to these uh, Roman Christians, and he tells them some very specific things about encountering hardships and difficulties and how the love of Christ actually enables us to make it through. Now, it's important to understand what Paul is writing here because he is trying to get his readers to see that it is the love of Christ that enables us to endure and persevere through the midst of trials and difficulties. You know, all of us will face many trials and even death. Because if Christ does not return, death is going to happen to all of us, right? We'll all see it. This generation will pass away. My daughter just asked me, she said, when is the coronavirus going to be over? And I said, well, when Jesus returns. So it's a, it's a reality. And so what we have to do is we have to fix our minds upon the love of Christ and what Christ says through his word to help us endure and persevere through times of trials and difficulties. And so we need to understand and apply Paul's words here about how God's love enables us to be more than conquerors through every trial that we face. So notice, first of all, when facing times of fear, difficulties, or trials, remind yourself of the love of God. Notice these questions, these rhetorical questions that Paul ask here in these verses. There's seven questions in total, but look what he says here. What then shall we say to these things? There's first one. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's number two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's three. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? There's four. It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. There's number five. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's number six. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? There's number seven. So he gives these, these questions, these rhetorical questions, and he's trying to really help us understand something about the love of Christ. And these questions that he asks should help us focus on the love of Christ. That's why I say you should read and reread and study Romans chapter number 8 as it expresses God's great love towards those that know him. And it's his everlasting love that he has for those that he has saved for his own glory. Notice specifically what Paul says here in verse 31. He asks a specific question. He says, what shall we say to these things? What things? What things, Paul? Well, the things he spoke primarily about in verses 1 through 30. 
But I believe specifically the things that he talks about in verses 29 and verse number 30. Take a look at what Paul says here about these things. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, when we get a hold of this, of what Paul is saying here, it should transform our thinking of what the love of God really means for us. And what Paul is saying here in this context is he is rooting our salvation in God's loving choice of us according to his plan before he made the world. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5 states, For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he did this by predestining us to the adoption as legal heirs through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will. And see, this should help us understand where God's love is focused on. And it's made towards us. God had a plan before the foundation of the world. And he chose you. He redeemed you. He called you to himself. And that alone should tell us something about the love of God. Knowing the very worst about us, he chose us. That's amazing love. You see, at some point in our lives, he called us according to his purpose to conform us to the image of his son so that we, that he would have the preeminence. In fact, he loved us so much that he delivered up his own son for us on the cross. That's found in Romans 8.32 is what he says here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He was not even willing to spare his own son, but he gave him for us. And so since God did all of this for us, while we were yet sinners, as Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we're going to revisit some of these questions here shortly that Paul asked, but primarily when we are facing trials and difficulties, it's always a good habit to remind ourselves of God's everlasting love that he has shown to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, what should we say to these things? Remind yourself of the love of God. Notice here, verse 35, Paul is asking this question about these enemies that will try to separate us from the love of Christ. And he says here, even in times of these trials, I'm sure that these enemies that he lists here, okay, that can seem like enemies or personal enemies that may try to uh, separate us from God's love. He says, I want you to remember about God's love. 
So secondly, the love of God surpasses anything and everything. Let's read their text here. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you remember what Satan did with Job? Remember how God actually allowed that and permitted that to happen in Job's life? Satan uses terrible trials to try to get us to doubt God's love. But Paul here is showing that no matter how difficult the trial, even to the point of being killed for the sake of following Jesus, God's love for us is a rock-solid foundation that we can rest upon. Whatever the trial, by faith, not by feelings, we must come back to God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at Paul's list here. He mentions tribulation. This is a general word for difficult trials. It has the nuance of pressure from without. Jesus used this word when he said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, pressure from without. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Then he mentions distress here. This has the meaning of a narrow or a confined place. Think of some, something like a confined jail cell where the walls are really tight or the ceiling is really low. You can't even hardly stand up. It's distress. It may also point to the inward feelings that we battle when we go through tribulations. You're under a great amount of pressure. But in our text, he is saying that believers often suffer trials from without or within because of who? Because of Christ. Because you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, we suffer this, this distress and we suffer this tribulation because we're following Christ. Then he mentions here about persecution. Literally, this means to pursue someone to harm them. It refers to the verbal or physical abuse that we suffer because of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul promised in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering persecution for the name of Jesus in several countries worldwide. And even though we may not see it here in America right now, as the Lord tarries, we might see it more and more. Then he next mentions here about famine and nakedness. Both of these point to extreme poverty and the lack of materials that would be considered the basic elements or essentials to life. 
Think of clothing, water, food, shelter. You see, these believers here that Paul is reminding them about the love of God, he's saying, you are going through these things. You are suffering these things. You are in a time of distress. You are a time of nakedness and famine. But he says, I want to remind you about the love of God. He chose you before the foundation of the world. So Paul was writing this, especially in this context, that there were believers who were experiencing these realities. And again, in some countries, many Christians suffer famine and nakedness. Then he gives them this interesting word. Notice what he says here, or danger, or danger. You know the one, one hot word you've been hearing more and more today? Safe, safe. Be safe out there, safe. Safety, safety, safe. But look what Paul says here. He says danger. Well, that's quite a contrast, isn't it? Would you ever think that we would live in a world of danger? Regardless of what this world says about being safe, life is not safe. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. It's risky and we encounter danger every day. But more importantly, Paul is using this word to tell us that danger is what can be considered as an enemy that will try to separate us from the love of Christ. Paul uses this word danger eight times in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six to describe the many dangers that he had faced because he was following Christ. Listen to what he says here. He says, I've been on journeys many times in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false brothers. Paul definitely lived in a time of danger, but he says the love of Christ is what is going to help me and enable me to keep my focus. Then he says this word sword. This refers to execution or death, which Paul finally did suffer for his own faith. Then notice what Paul says next in verse 36. He says this, For it is written, or as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's found in Psalm 44, verse 22. Now notice, notice, notice how Paul uses this. As it is written, for your sake, for your sake, it is for the Lord's sake that his people suffer and even be killed. The world considers believers as sheep to be slaughtered. Suffering is nothing new. God's people have experienced it down through the centuries. And so we really need to get this thinking out of our heads that because you're a child of God, he will protect you from trials. That's the prosperity gospel message. You see, he will protect you from trials, but he does it through his own way. Read your Bible, know what it says. 
God often allows His faithful servants to be persecuted even unto death. Now look, jump on down to verses 38 and 39 and notice what some other things that Paul adds to this list of these things that could try to separate us from the love of God. Look what he says here. And if, 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 if verse 35 isn't enough, notice these other things that Paul adds. And he adds these contrasts to really reinforce his conviction that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This is what he says. For I'm sure that neither death nor life can separate us from God's love. So if Christ has saved you when we die, our spirits go to be with the Lord. Help me finish this verse. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, as Jesus told a repentant thief on the cross who was dying, he says, today you shall be with me in paradise. So he says, neither death, now look at this, nor life. Why would he say life? Life. Neither death nor life will even be able to separate you from the love of Christ. It may seem strange at first, but Paul says that life cannot separate us from God's love. But life can be a bigger threat than death. In the parable of the sower, Luke 8, 14, Jesus identifies the thorny ground as the worries and riches and pleasures of life, which choke out the word so that it does not bear fruit. Then he says this, nor angels, nor rulers can separate us from God's love. What Paul is saying here is that there are no spiritual powers, good or bad, that could possibly ever separate us from God's love. Notice what else he says here. Nor things present, nor things to come could ever separate us from God's love. This could either refer to our present circumstances and even the things that will happen to us in the future. Or it could refer to things in the present age as contrasted with the things in the age to come. Those things can't separate us from God's love. But either way, Paul is referring to everything that can possibly happen to us. No bad circumstance now or in the future can separate us from God's great love. Nothing. Notice what else he says. He says, nor powers can separate us from God's love. This could be spiritual powers, just like he mentioned here before about the angels and the rulers. Then notice what else he says. He says, nor height nor depth can separate us from God's love. There is nothing in heaven and there is nothing in hell, height nor depth, that can separate you from the love of God. His love is everywhere. You can't get away from God's love. Psalm 139 tells us that. Then look what he says, and I love this one nor anything else in all creation can separate us from God's love. This is just great because it's almost like Paul saying, all right, here's everything I'm going to give you, okay? Here's all the, the list of all these things. And then he goes, okay, is there anything else? Well, let me just throw this phrase out there. And if there is anything, it couldn't even possibly ever separate you from God's love. On all of creation, it could never separate you. And so he's saying, name anything that you can think of. 
And God will work it together for good for his saints. And so it cannot separate us from his love. But all of the terrible things that Paul has listed here certainly don't feel like God's love when they happen to us, do they? When you're feeling the pressure, when you're feeling the the distress, does that really feel like God's love? No, it doesn't. So how can we really know that these terrible trials cannot separate us from his love? Well, to make it personal, how can I know that he loves me when I go through horrible suffering or even perhaps, even if I will have to face even being a martyr for the Lord? Notice what Paul says here. Notice how Paul points us to the cross with all of this. So thirdly, Jesus' death proves the love of God. Look what he says here in verse 37. He says that we are what? More than conquerors. We are overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now notice Paul uses this past tense here. Look what he says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's past tense, loved us. And so this points us back to the greatest demonstration of love that was ever given where the father delivered over his beloved son on our behalf. As John 3.16 says, for this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Notice how we are pointed to the love of God in this. Look here what Paul says here in this last part of verse 39. He says, the love of God, where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Where do we find the love of God? It is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so Paul says that the love of God is in Christ Jesus. Again, the cross shows us the love of God, the love of the Son of God who willingly laid down his life for us. John chapter 10, verse number 18, Jesus said, No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back again. This commandment I receive from my Father. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You see, you will not experience God's great love until you come as a guilty sinner to the cross and trust in God's provision for your sin and the death of his son, Jesus. And so God's great love for us is displayed for us through his son, Jesus. Now let's really bring this home to us about God's love for us as it was proved to us. Notice Romans 8, 32. Notice the promise here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now stop. We need to understand this. We don't rip this out of context and say, oh, see, look at that. God's going to give me whatever I need. Nope. What is the context that he's talking about here? He's talking about people who are suffering during times of trials and tribulations. He's not talking about he's going to give you a nice car or a big house or 
money in the bank, okay? He's talking about during our times of trials and difficulties here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so the context is, do you want to endure faithfully tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword for Jesus' sake? Well, then God who loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for your sins will give you the grace and strength that you need to bear up under every trial for the sake of the gospel. You see, God who has done the most for you by giving his own son will help you endure every trial that you go through for Christ's sake. Because of his great love for you, he will bring you safely to glory. Now just think of what God did for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What did God do for you? He poured out his wrath on his son for your sake. If I can try to illustrate this in a way, and this is a, this is a, this is a, a very bad way to really try to, to get this across to you because I'm speaking humanly here, okay? I have one child. Now, if you were to come to me and you'd say, hey, Mike, I got some problems here. These are some things that are going on. Could you, could you, could you perhaps maybe give me something that, that, that might help me? And if I were to give you my one child and I would give her to you to do, to do with whatever you needed her to do, whatever it is, and I were to give her to you, how would I not ever give you freely, graciously, anything else that you might need in life? I gave you my child, everything that I have, I gave you, gave her to you. Look at the text here again. Look what, Jesus, what, what Paul is saying. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God did the greatest thing imaginable when he gave us his own son. And he gave it to us on the cross. So why on earth would we ever think that God would never provide for his children in the midst of the most difficult times in our lives? He says, I gave you my son. Why wouldn't I graciously give you what you need in some of the most hardest and difficult times in life? We shouldn't fear because God's great love has been displayed through Jesus Christ and he gave us his son. 
So don't fear. We are conquerors through Christ. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church. Thank you.